This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 137. I want to take a moment right now to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. So for this week's episode, I wanted to talk about something a little bit different in the world of photography. And the subject for this episode is light field photography. Now, a light field camera, also known as a planoptic camera, captures information about the light field emanating from a scene. That is, the intensity of light in a scene and also the direction that the light rays are traveling within the space that you're photographing. Now, this contrasts with a conventional camera, which records only light intensity. Now, the first light field camera was proposed by Gabriel Lippmann in 1908, and he called his concept integral photography. Lippmann's experimental results included crude integral photographs made by using a plastic sheet embossed with a regular array of microlenses or by partially embedding very small glass beads closely packed in a random pattern into the surface of the photographic emulsion. In 2004, a team at Stanford University's Computer Graphics Laboratory used a 16-megapixel camera with a 90,000 microlens array, meaning that each microlens covered about 175 pixels, and the image had a final resolution of 90 kilopixels to demonstrate that pictures can be refocused after they're already taken. Now, Lytro as a company was founded in 2006 by Rez NG, a graduate of Stanford University and inventor of the Lytro Lightfield camera line. Now, these were an interesting camera because of the fact that you could capture an image with a Lytro camera and then you could change the focus in the scene later. Now, in order to do this, uh, you could do it on the back of the camera using the LCD. But in order to do it on your desktop, you had to use the Lytro desktop software to process the RAW files. Now, some of the features of a light field camera include a variable depth of field and, quote, refocusing. Like Lytro's, quote, focus spread feature allows the depth of field or the depth of focus of a two-dimensional representation of an image to be expanded after a picture has already been taken. So instead of having to set the focus at a particular distance, focal spread or focus spread allows more of a 2D image to be in focus. In some cases, this may be the entire 2D image field. Users also are able to quote refocus 2D images at particular distances for artistic effects. The Illum camera allows the refocusable 
and focus spreadable range to be selected using the optical focus and zoom rings on the lens. The ILM also features focus bracketing to extend refocusable range by capturing three or five consecutive images at different depths. Hence why you had to use their software to process the images. To be technical, I guess you could say their RAW files were more like movie clips, kind of like Apple's live photo on the iPhone. Now, another feature is speed. Because there is less need to focus the lens before taking a picture, a light field camera can capture images more quickly than a conventional point-and-shoot digital camera. This is an advantage in sports photography, for example, where many pictures are lost because the camera autofocus system cannot keep point, uh, pointed precisely at a fast-moving subject. Now, another uh, feature of light field photography with the ILM cameras was low light sensitivity. This gave you the ability to adjust focus in post-processing allows the use of larger apertures than are feasible on a conventional camera, thus enabling photography in extremely low-light environments. Four, the fourth feature is 3D images. Since a plenoptic camera records depth information, stereo images can be constructed in software from a single plenoptic image capture. And that would allow you to make unique changes in perspective to an image after the fact. And I'll include uh, uh, some sample images from the Lytro Illum cameras in the show notes for this episode so that my listeners can check them out for themselves. So the Lytro Illum was definitely an extremely unique and interesting camera that was capable of things that other cameras cannot do. Now, there are some other companies out there that have played around with cameras where you could change the depth of field or the focus point in the camera after the image was already recorded. I know Intel's played around with it a little bit, um, and some others have experimented with it. But the Lytro Illum, to me, was an extremely unique, interesting, and fun camera to play around with. I really enjoyed capturing images with my Illum camera. I thought it was a lot of fun, very enjoyable. Now, it was a bummer that the uh, the lens on the camera was permanently fixed, but it gave you a na- nice range of, I believe it was like 35 millimeters to like 200 millimeters. So at least you had, you know, basically a large range of focal lengths you could work with in that ca- in that lens that was fixed permanently to the front of the camera body. Now, one of the things that was interesting is that the resolution on the Lytro camera was listed as 40 mega rays. Now, <laughs> I have no idea what a mega ray is or how it translates to megapixels. Um, and I apologize, I was off. The lens was equivalent to 30 millimeters to 250 millimeters. And it had a comp- constant aperture, maximum aperture of f2.0. Now, the sensor in the camera was a one uh, by 1.2 inch, so it was 10 by uh, 10.82 by 7.52 millimeter light field sensor, with a max resolution of 7,728 by 50 or 5,368. Excuse me, with an aspect ratio of three to two, and the front filter thread for the lens were, or yeah, for the lens was 72 millimeters, so you could attach filters to it if you wanted to, and it had an eight times optical zoom. Now, as far as the focus range, you could go from manual, uh, manual, you could go from zero to infinity or zero millimeters to infinity. 
depending on whether you want to measure in inches or millimeters. Now, the exposure control, the shutter was capable of one four thousandths of a second, which was respectable. The exposure meter metering was evaluative, and the exposure modes were manual, program, sensitivity priority, and shutter priority. And the white balance was fully customizable. And you could use the camera with a shutter release cable, which was an optional item that you could get for it. Now, as far as storage, the camera used uh, SD, SDHC, or SDXC. Um, it was capable of using all three types of SD cards. The rear viewfinder display was four inches, and it was a tilting touch screen. It wasn't a very angle, uh, but it was 384,000 pixels, so it wasn't a super high resolution. Now, connectivity was USB 3.0. Um, it did have Wi-Fi built in with 802.11ac. And uh, the software requirements initially were Windows 7 and 8, but then they did offer the Lytro desktop software later on for Mac OS as well. And the camera came with a single rechargeable lithium-ion battery pack plus the charger. Now, the total dimensions of the camera were 5.7 by 3.4 by 6.5 inches, and it weighed about 2.07 pounds or 938 grams. Now, the whole thing did come in a really beautiful box. I mean, they definitely didn't uh, scrimp any on the box itself and the packaging, but uh, it was definitely an interesting and unique camera. And it's really sad that, that Lytro ended up going out of business since. Now, the light field engine in the camera was 2.0 with Snapdragon 801 uh, for the processor. And it ran basically a, a version of Android as the camera's firmware slash operating system. And I'm going to take a short break here and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag liamphotopodcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. So getting on with the, the rest of today's episode, talking about the Elytro Illum and camera and light field photography. Now, the Illum camera featured a very sleek unibody form factor, which was great. It had a minimum uh, number of buttons and dials. Most camera functions and adjustments could be done with the four-inch touchscreen, which saved them having to put all kinds of buttons and dials on the camera. And it did have an integrated hot shoe mount that was compatible with all standard flashes. For the most part, I used uh, Canon flashes with mine, and they worked perfectly fine. Um, so I didn't have any kind of issues with anything like that. Now, the uh, as far as the light field sensor, uh, it was uniquely designed and built specifically for the Lytro cameras, and it places a micro lens array on top of a CMOS sensor, thus diverting the light rays to different pixels on the sensor, sensor capturing the angular, angular variation among the various rays of light. 
Now the sensor would record these mega rays as opposed to pixels. So that's why it had a mega ray sensor instead of a megapixel sensor as it's, you know, technical specifications list. Now the Lytro field camera, the sensor captures 40 mega rays or 40 million rays per photograph. The Lightfield Engine 2.0 is the integrated software that processes the light fields, producing interactive, refocusable pictures. Now, when a 40 mega ray Lightfield image is converted to 2D, 2D, the export resolution was about four mega, uh, four megabytes, so or megapixels. Um, the uh, Snapdragon processor provided fast capture and computational speeds, and supported the complicated post-processing that was required for the Illum camera system. And a little more detail on the lens. The lens, had, like I said, had an eight, eight times optical zoom with a 9.5 to 77.8 millimeter focal length, which is equivalent to 30 to 250 in the 35 millimeter format. And it provided, like I said, a constant aperture of F2, which was extremely handy, especially for capturing images in low light. Now, the manual and region AF were supported, and uh, they were extremely comfortable with the design of the zoom and the focus rings. They were very comfortable on the barrel of the lens, and the focus range, like I said, ran from zero millimeters to infinity with a macro ratio of one to three. So, there was definitely um, some, definitely, absolutely, there were some unique designs and hardware technology implemented in this camera, which is one of the reasons why... I was really bummed to hear that they ended up going out of business. It didn't shock me because the cameras to a lot of people were a little bit odd or more of a toy than they were a real image capturing device. And so the Lytro cameras uh, as a technology, light field photography just never really took off, um, which is kind of sad because I thought they had a very unique and interesting technological marvel that they made in the Lytro Illum camera, especially now the Illum was the second generation camera that Lytro made. The first Lytro camera was basically just a small rectangle that you kind of held up to your eye, kind of like a monocular that would take pictures. Um, and I looked at those and I played around with them a little bit back when they were on the market and I just wasn't intrigued enough by it at that point. But when the Lytro Illum came out, something that looked more like an actual physical camera, like a DSLR or mirrorless camera today, I was much more intrigued and that's why I went ahead and got one. Now, I actually did a little bit of wheeling and dealing at the time and I can't remember what I was parting with, but I was downsizing some of my camera gear um, parting with some lenses and stuff like that. And I had one guy contact me via Craigslist that had a Lytro Illum camera that he traded to me for one of the lenses I was selling. And the model I got from him was actually a prototype. So it was a pre-production model. Um, so that did have some bugs to it and stuff like that. But I still had a lot of fun playing with it. And I still own that camera. And then later I went on uh, Amazon and I bought a brand new Lytro Illum. Um, but because I had waited quite a bit of time after the Lytro first came out on the market, um, I think when the cameras were first released brand new, I think they were around $1,500 or something like that. Um, but by the time I bought mine, and I still got mine new on Amazon, I paid like $345 or something like that for a brand new one, you know, sealed in the beautiful box and all of that. But 
yeah, to me, it's just, I, I, I kind of feel, like I said, sad that, that Lytro didn't succeed as a company because I thought they had a new and interesting approach to photography that was very enjoyable. I had a lot of fun playing with my Lytro camera. I haven't had it out in a while now because I know the company's gone, and I don't know if the current version of the Lytro desktop software for processing the images that I have on my Mac will still run in Big Sur. I haven't tried it yet. It doesn't have a circle with a slash through it saying, uh, you know, in my applications folder saying that it's not compatible, so I'm hoping that means it'll still work and I can still process images with it. Um, but I'll, I will try that after I record this episode and, and leave a comment about it in the show notes for this article. So that is it for this episode 137 of the Liam Photography Podcast, all about light field photography. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, and that, as I said, is going to wrap up episode 137 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. I also wanted to remind you that if you want to pick up a copy of The Forgotten Pieces of Georgia, The Northwest Counties, my first book that was released this past November, you can get a signed copy at the liamphotography.net online store, or you can pick up an unsigned copy at barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Also, if you'd be kind enough, stop by on YouTube, check out my Liam Photography YouTube channel, as well as the channels for my projects for Forgotten Pieces of Georgia and Pennsylvania. I'll have a link to those channels in the show notes. Go ahead and give them a like, a subscribe, hit the little bell icon so you can be notified when new videos drop. And I want to thank you all, and I will see you again in another seven days. <laughs>